400 yards rushing. Can 400. You that's 400. Nuts. That's that a two good games. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. The 2021 Kansas City Royals season has officially ended. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who embodies the 74-win season, my brother, Mike. Uh, well, hi, everybody. I, I don't think that's such a negative thing. The Diamondbacks only won 52 games this year, so I'm not the embodiment of a 52-game season, right? I'm right where I need to be, and I'm all about growth at this point. So, uh, you know, maybe next year will be 78-win embodiment. Who knows? Yeah, well, Mike's taking that lesson from Greek tragedy. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. You just kind of want to be right there in the middle. If right. you're too high, the gods bring you back to earth. So just go ahead and hang out at 75-ish wins, and you're going to be good for the rest of your life. Not showing off, not falling behind. I'm trying to think of it. The Denver Broncos have been following this model since they won the <laughs> Super Bowl in 99. Yeah, right? yeah. Just stay right there in the middle. Eight wins. Nice and eight wins. You guys. <laughs> there we'll, we go. I'll get you there. Uh, GM keeps his job, and you're good to go. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, on this week's episode of Royals Weekly, we'll review the final week of the 2021 season. Well, it was the final week for the Royals anyway. Some other teams are going to get to keep playing. Those are called playoff teams. I don't know if anybody remembers what that is. I don't have but, any uh, idea what you're talking about. Yeah, win a certain number of games, typically, roughly a certain number of games, you get to keep playing baseball. Uh, the Royals haven't been there in a while, but maybe someday, maybe they'll get back. We're going to take a look back at a few of our favorite things from the 2021 season. And in a fool's errand, we're going to try and preview the 2022 season. It's a little bit ridiculous to do so. But Mike and I are a couple of ridiculous people. So why not? Mike, I am a ridiculous person. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling about the end of the 2021 Kansas City Royals baseball season? You know, I'm not too beat up about it. Uh, I, I predicted, I think, at the beginning of this podcast that they would win 78 games. They won 74, you know, give or take. I figured this is about where they would be. Now, if in two years they're winning 74 games, then I'm going to be a little upset about it. But right now, yeah, they are what they thought we were. I was excited to see a lot of the youth come through, but I wish it had happened faster. I wish the Royals would not lean so heavily on retread guys, but hey, what are you going to do? They are who we thought they were. They are who they thought we were. (laughs) One of these, we're just going to do episodes about sound bites from from great post-game sound bites. Jim Mora, just Denny Green. I saw the- Gundy. It was the anniversary of Gundy's like a year, like a couple weeks ago or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Man, I want that on like a t-shirt or something. Like I'm a man, I'm 40, really defines who I am as a person. Oh yeah. Uh, But enough about the greatest sound bites in sports history. Let's talk about some baseball. All the roster news this week was basically just about finishing out the season. The Royals had to sort of put a roster together that they could finish the season with a lot of pitching sort of ineffectiveness, gassed injury type stuff. Uh, The Royals shelled both Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer for the season, put them both on the 10 day IL. They both looked pretty gassed by the end of the season, which is weird because Singer, well, it's not weird. It makes perfect sense, but Singer has been on the IL a few times and yet he still looked pretty gassed for the end of the season. He had a, a slight pull in his shoulder. That's what the way they described it. It was like something was grabbing him. All, everything was negative, but you hope it's nothing too serious for him. He, having shoulder issues can be a pretty dangerous thing for a pitcher. So yeah, it really was just all about putting together relief pitchers and things like that who could help them finish out the year. And effectively, they shelved Carlos Hernandez as well. He stayed, he stayed on the roster, but they didn't let him start. They put him in the bullpen, said he might come out of the bullpen, but he never did. I'm fine with that as well. 
Yeah, a guy who has had some injuries in the minor in his minor league experience, and so you really don't want him taxing it too much, especially you know the season was over two three months ago. So for the Royals anyway, so why not just have this guy who's really emerged for you as a starter, sit out the rest of the year, rest up, get ready to start strong in 2022, and hopefully that's what Lynch and Singer will end up doing too. You just hope there's no long term damage from this um, extra innings that they were sort of pitching this year. The other real big roster news is that Michael A. Taylor, Royal center fielder, signed a two-year extension with the team worth about $4.5 million a year. A lot of people were clamoring for him to get re-signed this offseason. He was only on a one-year deal this year, really cheap one at $1.75 million. And so the Royals went out and re-signed him, a guy who was great offensive or defensively this season, was not great offensively, roughly a 80 weighted runs created plus, which is about 20% below league average, but big time, maybe the best center fielder in baseball this year, probably the best center fielder in baseball this year. So Mike, what are your thoughts on extending Michael A. Taylor another two years? It looks like maybe he'll be get the first shot to start in center field in 2022. I don't like it. Okay. I feel like Kyle Isbell can handle center field at Kauffman stadium and is going to give you offensive value. That is way more than what Michael A. Taylor can. And I realize you're saying, well, it's just two years and it's just four and a half million dollars. So maybe he ends up being a fourth. I don't, I don't think the Royals are like that. They, they give the benefit of the doubt to those veteran guys and give them so many at bats before they actually pull them. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not liking it. So now you're going to go have likely have Kyle Isbell start in AAA again next year. Um, unless something else changes at one of the corner outfield spots and you give him that, but I, I, I really don't like it. No offense. I think Michael A. Taylor, if you sign him and he's your fourth guy, great. But I don't think that's what the Royals signed him for. Yeah, that, that's what's weird. I think Mike Clay Taylor is worth at least four and a half million a year. I think that's there's no there's no doubt in my mind that that's the case. But I think he's a fourth outfielder on a playoff team. And if you want your team to be a playoff team, I don't know that he's the solution in center field. Look at look back to when the Royals were going to the playoffs in you know uh, fourteen and fifteen. They had a center fielder who could not just play defense. They had a center fielder who could hit. You know, everybody talks about Lorenzo Cain's defense, and they forget that there were years where he's probably the best hitter on the Royals team as well. And so getting zero offensively. At least the most consistent hitter. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Getting zero offensively from any spot in your lineup is not a good thing. Right. And so the fact that he's basically an automatic out is not good. And the 650 OPS, no matter where you're hitting him in the the lineup, no matter what what position he's playing is not going to help you as much as say a guy who's playing really solid defense in center field, but can be an 105 OPS plus guy or weighted, weighted runs created plus guy, you know, that, which is what Isbell looks like. Maybe he could be right. Isbell's not going to be, you know, a, 130 OPS plus guy, but 105, that seems, that seems reasonable. That seems possible from him. And if he can do that and play a solid center field, I think that's more valuable than Taylor's elite center field and nothing at the plate. So hopefully, and I don't think that, and that my, my, my concern is the same as yours, that it's really about what the Royals are going to do. It's really about the mistakes that they're going to make in decision-making. And they do hang on to veteran guys way too long. They play them for way too long. Santana, O'Hearn, they've both been getting tons of at-bats late in this year. And it's like, let it go, right? They need to let those guys go, but they just don't. They hang on to these veteran guys like they're going to be something different. Michael A. Taylor is not going to be anything different than what he's been his whole career. This is like his best year he's like in his peak performance this year he's not doing any better than this and so 
I'm, I worry that they're going to sort of cling to him like, yeah, you're a great center fielder, so you're going to play every day for us. Uh, and Isbell's just going to be languishing with the, with the ability to help us. And he's just going to be chilling in AAA or getting three games a week or something like that. So um, in that sense, I don't like it. But I do like it in that I think Mike Lee Taylor is worth the money. I just hope that they don't misuse him, which I fear that they're going to do. In the final week, the Royals went three and four, bringing their overall record to 74 and 88. Uh, there were some interesting milestones this week. Uh, Salvi ended up tied for the Royals record in home runs with 48. Nicky Lopez grabbed a hit in today's game to bring his average above 300. And then they pulled him immediately so that he could have a 300 uh, batting average season, which is kind of cool. Um, some people say it's cheap, but you know, it's never cheap to hit 300. So no matter what it was, the difference between the 300 he hit and the 299, he was going to hit is, you know, it's all the same to me. Uh, so some interesting milestones there. Sally with a f- um, phenomenal season, people wanted him to grab one more home run. So he would hold the record by himself, but he led, uh, it looks like he's led, he has the most home runs by a catcher and ever uh, all time. And so it looks like he's going to, I think I haven't looked to see if he's going to end up ultimately leading the major leagues in home runs, but I think think he is if I'm not mistaken and so what a fantastic season from him another interesting thing occurred I went and I looked back at Bubich's numbers his overall numbers he's been having a hot streak lately he pitched really well this week uh, with six and two-thirds innings two earned runs and it, it looks like this hot stretch he's had recently has brought his overall ERA below four and a half he's got a 4.43 ERA and 130 innings pitched so he closed out really really strong this week and this and this last month this season too so it was interesting to see that as well a guy who there was some skepticism about whether or not he could have the command to be successful moving forward. We'll see if that continues into next year. Yeah. And the, the thing with Bubich right now is he's a guy who goes out and he does that for you. Like he did today uh, was, or not today, yesterday was strong yesterday, you know, with the command looked good, gave you six and two thirds innings. But the thing that always worries me is he has that one, he has that start in every month where it's going to be like an inning where he gave up six, you know, it's like the, the, just can't get himself out of trouble at times when he doesn't have his best command. So I'm hoping he can clean that up a little bit, but yeah, if, if we see the boobich of the last month or two next year, he's a, he's a valuable piece in your rotation. Yeah, hopefully that's the case. There were some other valuable pieces this week. I wanted to give a shout out to Cam Gallagher, who we never talk about because he doesn't play very much, uh, but he had a really strong week this week. He was eight for 14 with a double and three RBIs. Cam is a, is a, is an organizational service guy. Like no matter where he, I think he'll be a backup in the majors probably for a while, maybe uh, because he's a good defensive catcher can do enough with the bat to, to stick around, but you just want to sort of pay some respect to a guy who has, has been really serviceable as a backup catcher for the Royals. He had a really good week this week. So I thought I'd throw out uh, Cam Gallinger for my strong performance this week. Mike, you can take the other catcher that we have. Who's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, are the other catchers? Okay. I guess I'll get the leftovers if you will here. Yeah. Uh, Salvador Perez six for 23 with two home runs, two walks, which we all know is a big week walk wise for uh, Salvi and seven strikeouts. He got those two home runs. He's now the, he is Mr. Royal at this point. Like when you're talking faces of a franchise for long-term stuff, the Royals don't have very many of those guys. You know, we've got George Brett, we've got Frank White, Willie Wilson, kind of some of those guys you might throw in like a Kevin Apier or a, something like that. But Salvador Perez has the chance here, assuming that he continues to play as well as he has to become a real Mount Rushmore of the Kansas city Royals kind of player. If he isn't already there, which he could be, you know, I think, I think he's already put himself a step above some of those guys that played for a long time or won the world series with them recently. Your Alex Gordon's even like guys like, uh, 
Hosmer or or uh, even a guy like Mike Sweeney, who played a long, you know, basically his whole career, not his whole career, but close to his whole career with the Royals. Uh, I think he's uh, transcended those guys. He's yeah. above that in, in that sense, not only because he's been a better player, but because of his personality, his leadership and things like that. Well, I think it's the fact that he's been a better player. Like he is the Royals first legitimate hall of fame candidate since George Brett. So if, if Salvador Perez puts together another four or five seasons, like he'd like this one, like the one he had this year, or even slightly worse, you're talking about a guy who has a legitimate argument for the hall of fame. And it'll be interesting to see if that plays out because it'll be interesting to see if the Royals choose to keep him at catcher with MJ Melendez coming up and the possibility that he could play there or rotation or something. But I think you're absolutely right. He is he is on that Mount Rushmore of Royals and has surpassed a lot of guys we would think of as the face of the franchise previously because he is just so infectious and because he is doing things that a lot of other people haven't at a premium position that is typically designated for the leader of the team. Yeah, and, and I think you have to contextualize it too. Especially today, catchers don't hit like that anymore. Like we haven't had legit hitting catchers in Major League Baseball for a while like you'll get one or two joe mauer you know molina when he was younger you know but it's since then who who's it been i mean buster posey i guess at his best but a lot of these guys don't catch for a long period of time like salvi has and some of them catch but aren't like the gold glove level that he did for for as long as he did so you know i it's truly remarkable what he's able to do in a game that has really changed for the catching position yeah. And Buster Posey, Yadier Molina, these are guys who are going to be in the Hall of Fame. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's, if he's in the conversation with those guys, it's really something special and we should cherish it as a, as a fan base. Um, something that's harder to cherish has been the performance of one Jackson Kowar. Um, he had a real week, uh, uh, well, a week, week, a, a, a difficult time this week. He went to, he had two starts this week, including today, went eight innings, 10 earned runs in those two starts two walks and 10 strikeouts. The, the walk and strikeout numbers look pretty decent, but the thing Coar is doing is hanging balls right across the middle that are getting destroyed. Just, and a lot it's of times it's that changeup, which he's having trouble sort of commanding and that fastball, which isn't elite. And so if you put it in the middle, it's going to get crushed. And, you know, it, it's really been a struggle for Coar at throughout his entire tenure in the majors this year. But what I really want to urge fans to do is don't give up on him, right? I think it would be a mistake to give up on him. I think you're seeing a sort of pattern emerge where he really struggles with the first inning and where you see like a little um, lack of sharpness with command at times, but there are things that he, the the talent, the stuff that is all still there for him. And you have seen him have success throughout the minor leagues. So you know that it's there. It's the same way that like it was wrong to completely give up on Nicky Lopez and we sort of were maybe a little close to giving up on him completely and shouldn't have, but Coar is the same way. You don't want to give up on that level of talent. You want to sort of say, hey, let's see what we can do with him in the offseason. See if we can fix this first inning problem. Don't know if Cal Eldred is the guy to do that, but see if we can get him on the right track because that level of talent, that level of stuff will play at the major league level if he can just find a way to harness it. Yeah, and I'll give you a couple other guys. When Zach Granke first came up with the Royals, he was really young and he really struggled. He went back to the minors and came back up and was in the bullpen for a little while and figured some stuff out and almost immediately won the Cy Young award and became the Zach Granke that we all have seen for the last a million years. Same thing with Alex Gordon. Alex Gordon, of course, struggled when he played third base and had all that. They, they were extremely patient with him and he eventually turned it around and became a serviceable major league uh, outfielder. 
I think a move to the bullpen might be a great thing for him. If you're struggling with the first inning, that's all the bullpen is. It's always first innings. Get it out there, figure out a way to prep to get guys out immediately. And I think Coware might have a chance uh, moving forward. Now they may do other things. They may say, no, that's not how we're going to do it. But I think you got to do that. Yeah, give him an offseason, give him a spring training. Let's get another look at him once he has a chance to sort of put this season behind him, work on a few things, harness that change up a little bit better. And I think we'll have a, a good look. And if I'm them, I also say, go back to the co- the curveball, Coar. I, I don't know why they told him to start throwing a, a slider. I don't think it's doing anything for him. I think just have him focus on that curveball, have him focus on that changeup and the, and the command of it and the command of that fastball. And ultimately, you'll get where he needs to be. And f- find a way to get him mentally prepared to pitch in the first inning, because I think that's a big, a big thing for him. It's a mental hurdle in my mind as much as anything yeah and i'm going to talk about uh, whit merrifield he struggled uh this week as well including going 0 for 5 today uh 7 for 31 he did have three doubles uh one walk and five strikeouts uh whit merrifield had a little bit of a down year for him a little up and down there were times when he was really good there were times when he was really really bad and so uh, i'm hoping that this is not age decline and we're now seeing the downslide of whit merrifield i hope that's not the case he did play a, a very good second base where we didn't I, I mean, honestly I didn't expect him to play a whole lot of second base at the beginning of the year but he did play a very good defensive second base but he did struggle with this last week and I'm hoping next year he can uh, turn it back around and get uh, closer to the Whit Merrifield that we saw in the previous years yeah and that's a big question mark for them because it's not ultimately that clear where he's going to play next year if Bobby Witt Jr. looks like he's ready to start the year in 2022 which it does look like he's ready and so the question then becomes where's Merrifield going to play especially if Adalberto Mondesi is healthy and so it might be right field it might be second base if, if Mondesi's out uh, who knows at this point where exactly Merrifield fits in but you can you can guess that they're probably likely to to want to start him most days. Played 162 games this season, what Merrifield did, and so you know they're going to want him in the lineup. The question is, will that decline continue? I worry it is an age decline. I worry that it's going to be tough for him to continue to put up the offensive numbers he has in the past. And if he's not playing an elite defensive position, if he's not playing second base, if he's sort of in the outfield, but he's only sort of average or just above average, what's his value like to the team? I think he does have value no matter what as a, as a bench player, if, if, if need be. He can always sort of come in and rotate into different positions and continue to at least be serviceable enough offensively. But I'd love to see him sort of show a little more patience at the plate maybe. I'd love to see him uh, find a way to sort of regain that offensive value and be the type of hitter he was, at least for a couple more seasons, uh, as they look to start competing again in 2022 and 2023. That said, I think it was time for things to be done for the Royals this year. Uh, They were just slapping things together with duct tape and spit by the end here, (laughs) trying to find guys, pulling people out of the stands to throw relief innings for them. It was rough. Um, You could tell that everybody's gassed. You could tell that I, I think even the offensive players sort of, were gassed after not playing 162 last year, after just doing 60 games last year, they were gassed. The pitchers were looked like they were getting rolled out there on a gurney every day. It was, it was really rough. And so I think it was time for them to be done. I think uh, that's what we learned this week is that like everybody was ready to go home, regroup and, and come back out again in 2022. And yeah, I'm going to roll up with that. And I think the Royals made some good calls with that. Shelving those guys was an important thing. There is absolutely no reason to roll them out there and risk some sort of terrible injury that, would honestly lose them for an entire season next year. So good call for the Royals by shelving those pitchers, by limiting some of those guys, having uh, Cam Gallagher catch a couple more games rather than Salvi. Important that they understand that 
that's not the way to go. And heck, if they'd have done it three weeks ago, I'd have been fine with that too. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. The 2021 Royals campaign was full of ups and downs, mostly downs, highs and lows, mostly lows, and a parade of moments that delighted, confused, and amazed. That's basically the Royals. The Royals are like a three-ring circus. That's the delight, they confuse, and amaze, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, my memory is mush at this point. The windless brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a stretch. That's a stretch uh, there. But... No? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the most part, my memory, generally speaking, is mush these days. You ever know? I'm mush. like, as I get older, it's like tapioca pudding up there. The mush uh, brain, yeah. I got the mush brain. Uh, but we're going to try and recall some of our favorite things about the 2021 season. As we close the books on what was a delightful season, I'm still holding on to the fact that like, I was just happy to have baseball at all. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I still sort of remember that when we didn't have it and, and, and delight at the fact that we got to watch baseball, uh, Mike, get us started. And what's something you really enjoyed about the 2021 season for the Royals? Uh, Salvi aging, like a fine wine. You know, I, I honestly, I'd never expected him to become, the power hitter that he has become the run producer, the power hitter. You know, I, I always thought, well, once his defensive value starts to wane, then, you know, he, his really, his value starts to wane. all of his value does, but he has transformed himself from this defense heavy catcher to a guy who's really the best bat in your lineup. Uh, Save maybe a Nicky Lopez, although we got to see Lopez continue to do it for multiple years, but yeah, just having him, put together his best offensive season at what is he 32 or 33 years old? I think he's 31. Um, is he? Okay. Whatever. Still aging like a fine wine. And uh, I hope he keeps doing that. Cause if he does, he's the cornerstone of your lineup. Yeah. I think that's super important. I don't know that I ever expected him to be this good offensively. I thought maybe the power would develop a little bit more, but to see him sort of become a legit offensive player who could move to another position and still have value is really important for him. And will probably ultimately end up happening at some point. Uh, The thing that I sort of really love or taking away first from the season is the emergence of Nicky Lopez. I think you and I were out front early sort of being uh, skeptical that he could ever become what we hoped he would be at AAA. We were very high on him. Uh, all through his minor league career, but having about a thousand at plate appearances in the majors and not yet producing well enough kind of signals that a guy won't make it. He showed us all that he was not that guy that despite the fact that he'd already had so many plate appearances, he was going to make it at the major league level. And really he didn't just make it. He wasn't just serviceable. He was amazing. I don't think anybody, I think there were a lot of like Nicky Lopez believers out there who were like, Oh, he can make it. He can make it. But I don't even think they thought he was going to be a 300 hitter. 300 hitter. I don't think they thought he was going to be gold glove shortstop. shortstop. I think they thought, (laughs) Oh, he'll be serviceable. He'll be 260, 270. He'll be serviceable. No, he's been amazing. He's been a very good player for the Royals and he creates a very good problem for them, which is what do you do with all these good infielders? What do you do with Bobby Witt Jr. and Adalberto Mondesi and Nicky Lopez and Whit Merrifield all trying to play in one infield at three spots? And so great problem to have. Great thing to have when you say, hey, maybe Nicky Lopez is just going to stay at shortstop for us, play a gold glove shortstop, hit you know, around 300 with a 350 some on base and be a, like a solid four to five win player for the next, 
you know, five or six years. That would be incredible and incredibly valuable for the Royals. And it was just great to see that happen and great to see it happen for a guy who, you know, at the, for, for all, all we can tell seems like a great dude. Seems like he puts so much into, into playing and improving and you want him to sort of find success, especially uh, after a, a really good minor league career. Uh, you don't want a guy to just come up to the majors and, and not make it. And so it was great to see him uh, turn it around and really show us all of his ability and then the fulfillment of his potential. Another thing that I thought was amazing and, and guys who I think showed the potential that they have again was were Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and their turnaround has to be one of the major stories from the 2021 season. Uh, it was wild to see those two take such a dark turn in 2019 to see them just look like they didn't know how to hit a baseball at all anymore. And for guys who were, had a lot of prospect pedigree and a lot of sort of hype behind them, they looked completely lost at the plate in 2019. I remember watching a lot of those minor league games and not understanding what Nick Prado's swing even was. I was like, what are you doing with that swing? It was terrible. And if possible, MJ Melendez's was worse. Yeah, and so I was going to say it was way worse. <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. And it was like you hadn't seen anything like that from them in the past. And, and you just didn't know how they were going to turn it around. And to see the immense turnaround that they put up this year, to see them go from completely off the radar into the top 100 by virtually all accounts from Baseball America to you know, all these other publications, it's amazing to see. And it just does so much for the Royals farm system and the prospect of the Royals competing in 2022 and 2023. If those two don't turn it around, I don't think anybody's talking about the Royals being and sniffing competition in 2022 but because they did turn it around because they both look like they could be legit major league hitters as well as bobby witt jr and a few others night and day difference people are talking about the royals as if they might be able to take a step forward in 2022 yeah i agree and i'm going to talk about another guy who kind of turned it around kind of carlos Hernandez was a big time prospect skipped an entire level but had struggled in his times in major league baseball to be consistent and so this year to see him kind of break out and show, hey, I have enough command that this plus stuff that we've always known he's had will play and I can stay in Major League Baseball. I think you're now looking at Carlos Hernandez as perhaps your top guy moving into next year in the rotation. Now, has he shown that he can be consistent yet? Not completely, but I think with the the, the amount of the, the way that his stuff plays in Major League Baseball, he's your best shot at being a frontline guy. Yeah, I don't know that they would ever put that on him next year. I don't think they'd be like, no, hey, Hernandez, I think, you're in the competition yeah. for opening day starter. No, no, no. I, think, I think Keller still starts opening day next year. Yeah, Keller's so. going to start. But everybody's going to be looking at Hernandez like, are you going to be the guy? Are you going to be the breakout of this group of young pitchers? Are you going to be the one who, even though you're not in the number one spot right now, we look at you and say, he's the guy. He's our, our, our number our one. best, yeah. Even though he's pitching out of the third spot or the fourth spot or whatever. Because honestly, he's the one who's shown the most over the course of the last three months or so over the, in the second half, he's the one who's really shown that he can do that, especially with his stuff. And if his command just takes a step forward in terms of consistency, he's really got that kind of potential. I think that has become clear. And especially if he stays healthy, we, we, we don't talk about that with Hernandez enough because he does have an injury history, but he really needs to stay healthy in order to um, continue to build on, on the season he's got going so far. Uh, the other thing, another big thing that I was happy about this year is fans in the stands. I got to go to a couple of games. You got to go to a couple of games this year. It was great to hear fans out there being excited about baseball because I missed it so much last year. And I probably didn't even understand how much I missed it until I heard it happening again this year. It's an experience unlike any other. We're now talking about possibly another shot at a downtown baseball stadium, mm, I um, love which I know so a lot of people 
have different opinions on i2 polarizing polarizing Polarizing. i2 am a downtown uh, advocate even though i live much closer to where the stadium is now i i really like downtown baseball stadiums but it's just having fans at games makes a world of difference to me so it was great to see that again yeah normally i hate everyone and so but going out to the to the game i was like oh man it's nice to see all these people again uh even the drunk weirdos who are out doing weirdo things uh it was it was a lot of fun love seeing the fans love hearing it on tv too when i'm watching games there just That's having them in the stadium for me, yeah. it changes it changes not just the the experience of viewing but you can tell it changes the players too and the way that they're sort of performing it's weird to perform as a player when there's nobody in the stands to see you and so you see a lot more energy a lot more emotion and that's really what we tune in to see and so great to sort of uh, see the fans back in at the game. Uh, Hopefully someday they'll be cheering for the next group of guys I'm going to be talking about because I think another important factor to the 2021 season or another thing I got excited about was the emergence of some lesser known prospects. And I think for the Royals to sort of continue to keep this window open and maybe have a success at competing moving forward, you're going to have to see contributions from guys we didn't expect. And there are a few guys who we didn't necessarily expect who have turned in some great minor league seasons and look like they're going to really be valuable pieces for the Royals moving forward. I think the biggest one that people are talking about is Vinny Pasquantino, who had just a monster year in double A or what was it? High A, a high A quad cities. And then at double A Northwest Arkansas, just amazing hitter. Vinny Pasquantino is he's a really disciplined hitter. Doesn't strike out too much. Say His walk rate is very close to his strikeout rate. It's, yeah. He does not strike it, out much like about 15% for both. Clits the ball and play really hard. He's not a tremendous athlete. He's a first base prospect. If you don't know who he is, he's not a tremendous athlete, but man, the guy just puts the bat on the ball and hits it really hard. And so a guy who just had a great minor league season, you say, okay, this guy can probably contribute offensively late 2022, maybe, maybe uh, definitely to start 2023. If there's a spot for him, which hopefully there is, maybe there's not, don't know. It's going to be hard because they want Nick Prado at first base. So what's, what's Pascontino going to do? He doesn't have any other defensive position that he can play. And so we'll see on that, but it's great to see a guy who can hit the baseball. I'm, I'm familiar with the Royal stretches of, of time when, you look at the hitting prospects in their in their farm system and it was just fucking barren and so i i love seeing them have hitters to choose from uh, another one nick lofton a guy who i'm really excited about plays multiple positions remember when we were all excited excited about balbino but what was his when name mayor when mayor <laughs> you're, you're when you're praying. when you're when you're getting excited on about Balbino Fuenmayor, you know you're in trouble, right? Like that's that just wasn't a great time. Uh, and so yeah, Pasquins, you know, Nick Lofton, another guy I'm excited about. He can actually play multiple positions and had a really hot uh, second half of his minor league season. Lo- love to see what he's going to do next year at Double A, probably to start. John Heasley, a guy we saw in the major leagues who sort of emerged from Double A uh, this year, pitched solidly in his major couple, few major league starts. Dylan Coleman, another guy who got some major league time, pitched Love well this Coleman. week. Everybody's yeah. loving on Coleman. That's great. He could be this great bullpen piece, and he sort of really emerged as a as a option for them this year. So there's a few lesser known prospects who really jumped out this year and are sort of saying to us, "Hey, maybe the Royals will be able to compete in 2022, 2023." But we can't just talk about all the things that we loved about 2021. We have to talk about some things that concerned us. Mike, what was something that concerned you about the 2021 season? Well, hanging on to some guys that we shouldn't. We did not do enough at the trade deadline to get rid of some of these guys that are the retread guys. Get rid of Benintendi when his value is that high because I think we have somebody, at least in Kyle Isbell, that could come up and at least play left. If you're not going to play him in center, you're going to re-sign Michael A. Taylor, play him in left. 
same thing with Carlos Santana. We saw the second half that he had, which was bleh, depressing. Bleh. It was bleh. I, I mean, I would have been fine if they had traded Michael A. Taylor for something, you know, um, get out of some of these uh, contracts because they're one, they're blocking younger players and two, get some value because they're just going to be gone anyway. You're not going to re-sign Andrew Benintendi. You're not going to re-sign Carlos Santana likely. So get something for them. You have a bullpen that could use a piece or two. You go get yourself a wild card starting prospect in the low minors, something like that. But hanging on to them just because doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Makes absolutely no sense. Now you're going to get absolutely nothing for Carlos Santana. Now you're going to get probably nothing for Andrew Benintendi unless they can find a trade partner in the offseason. But, you know, it's it, they're ju- it's just no no value there. And people are like, well, they wouldn't have gotten – actually, they wouldn't have gotten much for Santana or there weren't as many trade partners. It doesn't matter. does not matter what you get. If they give you a, a bag of balls, if they give you a washing machine, it doesn't matter. Just take yeah. whatever <laughs> – I got traded for a fucking washing washing machine. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Take the washing machine. We can use it. It's it's more valuable than the nothing you're going to get for him now. And so, you know, you just wasted this guy's value. And so that's, that's a, it's classic Royals. They always hang on to guys too long. They always lean too heavily into veterans. And so, yeah, that was the thing that was very disappointing and seems Every, every Royals pundit, every sort of Royal, everybody who was sort of tuned in or keyed into the Royals leading up to the deadline was saying this, they were like, they have to get rid of these guys or, you know, their value is going to drop. And it, it's like clockwork. They did nothing at the deadline and their value dropped. And so, yeah. I mean, they got know, rid of Solaire who then went on. They to got rid of Solaire. Now but, I still think that was a good idea. You still got to get rid of Solaire. Good Soler. idea. Good yeah. idea. Cause well, guess what? Solaire would have done nothing for you. And now he's gone. Solaire would have been zero value. Now he at least gave you this relief pitching prospect who you don't know what he'll be, but maybe he ends up being a part of a bullpen. Santana could have been the exact same thing, but now he's not, he's going to be nothing. Uh, my, my big thing were the struggles of uh, Lynch, Kowar, and Singer. That was the thing that concerns me the most coming out of 2021. We didn't see enough out of any of those guys to think, okay, this guy's definitely going to be a part of this rotation moving forward. This guy's going to be a solid major league starter. Singer looked like he regressed actually in 2021, didn't mm-hmm. take a step forward. Kowar's done nothing but struggle at the major league level. Lynch had some small stretches of success in there, but nothing where you're like, okay, we can definitely bank on Lynch moving forward. And so I really just, I, I, I worry a little bit. That's a concern for me. We need at least one of those guys to hit and probably two of them as starters. And so it'll be interesting to see in 2022. I think the big question as we go into 2022 will be like, what do those three pitchers do? Because if they can solidify that starting rotation with one of one or two of those three, great. They'll have a chance to compete. If all three of them miss, it might be struggle city again for this rotation. There are no games to preview this week. So instead, we'll try and look ahead to the 2022 season for a moment and focus on what will be important to, to a successful 2022. First off, Mike, what does a successful 2022 season look like to you? To me, a successful 2022 looks like the 2013 season that the Royals had before their run of back-to-back World Series. If you remember 2013 season, the Royals came out and struggled a little bit as they were starting to integrate all of that young wave of prospect talent that they had, but they started turning it on in the second half and they ended up with a season that was where they were about 500. And that would be a success for me. If we get those the younger guys to come up get there and really get integrated into major league baseball where, you know, Brady singers 
in your starting rotation and what he's going to give you. You know uh, Daniel Lynch is in your starting rotation, what he's going to give you. Same with Hernandez. And, and you have a solid lineup of players that you can count on offensively. Then in 2023, in the offseason between 2022 and 2023, you're just going out and plucking the things you absolutely have to have. Those extra pieces that are like, okay, we need one more bat. We need one more starting pitcher, whatever it is that will be a successful 2022. If we know what we have at the end of the year and what we need for a world series run. Yeah. People talked about this year, like it was going to be the 2023, but I never 2013, but it never looked like that to me because our lineup and our, our rotation was filled with these veterans. And that's not what 2013 was. 2013 was the first year of us getting to see all the young guys playing together and at the major league level. And so that's to me what 2022 could look like. You're going to see Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, and MJ Melendez up in the major leagues. You're going to see Lynch, Kowar, Singer, Bubich, Hernandez, Heasley, probably not Jonathan Boland, maybe Jonathan Boland if he gets back early enough, maybe towards the end of the year. But you're going to see these young pitchers and young hitters up at the major league level trying to make it, make it happen, make it work. And so next year is the 2013 to me. And I think that's an absolutely good point. But what does that mean if if they're going to be successful? It means staying out of these long losing streaks. It means finding ways to be more consistent as young players. The pitching staff should be a little bit further than the the hitters because Singer's been in the rotation for or in the majors a while. Bubich has been in the majors a while. Hernandez has been in the majors a while. All these guys should be learning how to be more consistent. Don't really trust Cal Eldred to teach them that, but hopefully they find a way. Uh, and then we'll see what they're doing with the lineup. But you're right. It, it needs to be about after next season, it needs to be going out and filling holes like fourth outfielder, bullpen piece, the small things you want to fill out around a lineup and a rotation that should be pretty set after the 2022 season. I'm curious too, to know, like, who do we think is going to be that out of left field person who is important to the 2022 effort? Who is someone you think will be important to the 2022 effort that Royals fans may not be thinking about right now? So I, I would like to say Kyle Isbell because I think that he can be a, a valuable piece in their outfield, but I don't think the Royals do right now anyway. I think they do for the future. I just don't think they do for, to start next year. So I'm actually going to go ahead and say it's a starter that has yet to be acquired. I think they might go out and try and trade for somebody who might still have a little bit of control left that's a starter. And so I think it's probably going to be that person. You're going to go, okay, they got this person. And he ended up being somebody who was very valuable to them in that 2022 season, a la a James Shields back in 2013. I don't, I don't know if they have the package of prospects to get somebody like that, that they want to give I up think anyway. They do though. Like now it may mean giving up like Melendez. Those, may, maybe something like that. I don't they know. If they ne- they're never up giving up. They're never giving up. That's the thing. They're never going to give up Melendez. They're, they're never going to give up Prado. They're never going to give up Bobby Wood Jr., who else is anybody taking? See, that, I could see you know, them giving up Prado. I could see them giving up Prado. I could see them giving up somebody like uh, uh, one of the pitching prospects too. Um, not but, not necessarily one of those guys who've already made it to the majors, but that's their problem. The guys who've already made it to the majors haven't performed well enough to get a ton back in return, and so nobody's going to be like, okay, we're going to treat Jackson Kowar like he's an elite pitching prospect when he's not because he went to the majors and has done nothing but been terrible. Same with Lynch. Same with Singer. Like you can't get enough for those guys. To, they they they're not going to bring back a James Shield in return. Uh, and so I don't know if they have the prospect makeup or profile right now to get somebody like a James Shields, like a Jason Vargas. I think they could get a Jason Vargas for I'm saying uh, like package what, of prospects what, they have. What about like a Nick Prado, one of your higher 
guys. And then you also have like an Alec Marsh or, you know, by no Boland's not healthy. So you probably don't trade him, but somebody like that who has performed very well in minor league baseball as a starting pitcher, maybe, maybe a Klein, like a Will Klein, somebody. He's a relief pitcher. They're never taking another relief pitcher. Uh, that's, yeah, a tough, that's a tough. Yeah, trade for somebody. I, I get that, and I, I don't. Maybe they'd be willing to trade a Nick Prado. I don't think they would, but if they would, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a Nick Prado and maybe a couple other guys, uh, definitely a couple other guys, to get any sort of starting pitcher who you would say one has control and two can be valuable. You know, is going to be valuable for you in the rotation. I think it's less likely to be a James Shields type because that's just too elite. It, it costs too much in prospects to get someone like him, and more likely to be a Jason Vargas type somebody who is, you know, mid rotation at best. And, and you can sort of just be solidifying, um, but we'll see. Uh, I think they might actually do that. I think they well, might. Yeah, I, I think that's probably more likely too, because it's just so hard to make trades for guys like a James Shields, like very it's, hard. There's not very many of those guys. And then, you know, you everybody to, wants them and everybody really? wants them. So, yeah. But yeah, if, if I do think they go out and try and find somebody in the starting rotation for next year. So the guy I think who might be really important to the 2022 effort that really nobody's talking about is Adalberto Mondesi. It's weird that nobody's talking about him. Or if they are talking about him, they're only talking about him and it's like, forget, forget him, like <laughs> forget needing him. And I get why, because, you know, he's hurt all the time, but he is a guy who when healthy and when playing with a little bit of consistency is game changing. And if we're asking ourselves, what's going to make the Royals competitive in 2022, it's going to be filling out their lineup with guys who can be an impact on offensively. If they can find a way to get him, Bobby Wood Jr., Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, you know, all these guys in us in the same lineup, MJ Melendez, you know, all these guys in the same lineup, what a potent lineup that would be. What if, what if Adalberto Modesty hits ninth for the Royals? Like that's huge. That would be amazing. Like, Oh, here our nine hitter. If he plays enough can hit 20 home runs in a season. You know, it's it just really interesting to me that Mondesi, if he can find a way to stay healthy could have an impact. And we know him being in the lineup or not being in the lineup has an impact no matter what. So it'll be interesting to see like if he has a, a decently healthy year, if they use him in such a way that keeps him healthy, maybe he has a big impact without us even really even thinking about it because we've sort of written him off as a constantly injured player. Yeah, that'd be really cool to have. I, I don't think he should bat nine either way. If he's, if he's, you put him at like seven, I think that would be better. But yeah, uh, he, man, if he's in there and plays, he plays 135 games. You're like, whoa, we had a solid lineup for 135 games, you know? Yeah. Um, and imagine, I mean, I, I th- he could easily put up four or five war in 135 games. I think that's. Yeah. Depends on how those, cool. those hot and cold streaks go. But I yeah. know. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, with that in mind, let's start making some predictions already. I mean, like, let's just jump out there ahead of everybody. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what do you want to see in terms of a record for 2022? I'd like to see the Royals go get 82 wins. 82 and 80 uh, is a winning. It's a couple of things. One, it's a winning season. Two, it likely means you're playing competitive, important baseball, uh, you know, maybe in the beginning part of September still. September, mid-September, you're still playing important baseball games. You still have a reason to get put those starters out there. You're probably not shelving guys, things like that. So I think, yeah, 82 wins would be a real step forward and uh, a growth in the right right direction. Yeah, I went with 80 wins for the number, which is virtually the same. I and mean, we're talking about one win difference, basically. Yeah. And so 80 wins, 500, roughly 500 season is good enough for me. I think 
if they're it's it's all about consistency both with the starters and in the or with the pitchers and in the lineup uh, and so you, if you start seeing that consistency from the starting rotation if you start to see more consistency from the lineup and that includes getting Santana out of there getting O'Hearn out of there you know getting Hunter Dozier either right or sitting him on the bench I think you take out some of these you, you have to look back at 2021 and say, what if we didn't have these massive black holes named Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier in the lineup all the time? And even we could say Ryan O'Hearn at times because he was in there too often as well. And so in the second half, Carlos Santana, what if these guys weren't just a complete drain on the lineup? If you find the consistency to where you don't have to play guys like that, you get to 80 wins in my mind. Uh, that, that, that was really, to me, the difference between 74 wins and like 80 wins this year. And so get that, get a tick about uh, a, st- a step forward in consistency for the starters. And I think it could be a really interesting year in 2022. We'll end this week. Like we end every week with our, just a bit outside segment, but first an announcement, this will be the final regular episode. That is weekly episode of Royals weekly for the, for the season. We will transition to doing episodes once every month or as news, important news breaks, maybe we'll throw up a special episode, but for the off season, we're going to do once monthly. So we'll, I guess we'll be Royals monthly for the off season. Uh, and then we'll go back to weekly episodes once uh, spring training gets rolling and we, and we decide we can kick it back into gear with uh, weekly episodes. But for the off season, this will be the last weekly episode and then we'll transition to a monthly episode. So we'll see you all in one month uh, unless something important happens in, in between now and then. But until then, let's get to our just a bit outside. Mike, what's interesting to you outside the world of baseball this week? All festivals, okay? I like them. I like fall festivals. Our mother participated in a little bit of a fall festival kind of thing in Raytown this past weekend, went to that, walked around the, she does craft fairs things. She makes stuff and sells them. And so we went and looked at that stuff. They, we didn't participate. They did music and food trucks and stuff too, but I just like going out and doing that stuff, walking around and weather that's a little bit cooler. I will say they were charging like 13 bucks to get in, which was way too much for this Ooh. one anyway. Yeah. This one is not, it was like really small. We, we did our Oktoberfest in Lee Summit a couple of weeks ago. We'll have a fall fest here in the G-Hood uh, in a couple of weeks, I think. So I just really like those. I like walking around in those uh, environments and just chilling. So I'm, I'm, I'm pro fall festival. Let's do them. I love it. I, I went out to Lee Summit's, or I, I, not uh, to go to the festival. I was just in Lee Summit and we'll happen to be walking around downtown. It is really cool to see all these different things, vendors and people out just having fun and listening to music and that sort of thing. Love a fall festival, love the weather as well. And so that sort of makes a perfect atmosphere for a fall festival. Uh, I'm going to talk about a thing called, I'm just calling grown up fandom. Uh, after the chiefs lost last week, somebody this week asked me, a friend of mine asked me like, if I was taking it hard and I was like, no, like, I don't really take losses hard. And it dawned on me that like, I've changed as a fan, like back in the day, I might've taken a chief's loss or a Royal stretch, a bad stretch or something like that really hard. I might've been like moody or grumpy or something like that as a result of that. But I don't live and die with the results of, of, of games anymore. Uh, And I like that about myself. I like that, you know, no matter what happens, I think maybe I've just been a Royals fan and a chief's fan for too long. Like if you don't develop a thick skin after being a Royals fan and a chief's fan for 30 years, and a Mizzou fan. Well, I'm not really a Mizzou fan, but I am. And it's like getting kicked in the plums on a repeated basis. Yesterday must've been quite a day for you. You know, they gave up 600 (laughs) yards, six, (laughs) they fired their D line coach today, 400 yards rushing, (laughs) 
four hundred. That's four hundred. That's that a, is two nuts. good games. That's two good <laughs> running games. One amazing passing game. Uh, and so, yeah, it was rough for Mizzou yesterday. But if you grow up in these types of fandoms, you have to develop a thick skin. You have to develop a way of sort of orienting yourself to sports. That's like this sport that I love. That it treats me like crap isn't going to like make me a sad person outside of this. Like I can, I can process in a healthy way, the emotions of my team losing even tough losses or embarrassing losses or whatever the Super Bowl last year, like the Super Bowl. Like if you, you gotta be able to sort of process those in healthy ways, or what's the point of being a sports fan. I saw like a, a fun cartoon today while I was watching the chiefs game. Uh, that was like, it was like aliens trying to describe watching sports to people or to themselves, you know? And they were wondering like, well, why do, why do we let this thing make us sad? And like, what? And it was like, well, we're, we're sad with other people. That's what it's about or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, we should, if it's okay to like, to not like be happy about a loss or whatever, but I don't know. I don't think we should be like, this loss is going to make me like, I, I, I spent too much time on Twitter. So after the chiefs lost last week, they won today, but after they lost last week, it was like, despondency city it was like yeah the sky is falling you know i've Uh, often wondered like what what is the difference in work and school attendance in the kansas city area on a monday after a win versus after a loss yeah because there's times when and i and i don't really do it anymore but there were times back in the day when they'd lose a tough one on sunday and i'm like i'm not going to work on monday that's not happening like uh, but uh, is there a noticeable difference (laughs) you know what's weird this is really really sad it's going to be a sad stat to or a bit of research to throw out there but there is research that exists that says that instances of domestic violence go up uh, with sporting event losses with team Uh, losses that does not surprise me at all and and this is the type of stuff i'm talking we should not live and die with the results of of a a sporting event enjoy it find joy in it regardless of what's taking place and be a grown-up fan right Uh, i'm not i'm not 16 i'm not seven my team losing isn't going to uh isn't going to ruin my day and so i hope that uh we all can sort of think in those terms uh the the season is coming to an end or has come to an end for the royals and you know it's going to be a bummer not to have them every night but let's go rewatch the witcher and be happy uh, and so don't we'll watch see you the again witcher. watch the witcher it's it's going to make you all very happy oh, uh, God. we'll see you all again in one month or sooner if something big happens but until then be good to each other and go royals 